This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Our scripture that was previously read came from the gospel according to Luke, the 24th chapter, and the reading was from the 13th through the 27th verse. And it reads on this wise. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus happens to be one of my favorite narratives in all of scripture. I don't know why, I just love this story. I I particularly like it, I guess, because it is so rich in theological content that if I were to analyze all of its nuances and all of its nuggets, we would be here all day. But we don't have all day. But since we do not have all day, I'd like to spend the next few moments talking about the self-revelation, the self revelation of Jesus Christ to these disciples as they lamented and grieved their loss on this road to Emmaus and to see if we can perhaps identify some patterns that will have meaning and relevance for us in our lives today. With this in mind, I want to speak a message that I have titled, On the Road Again. On the Road Again. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are yet on the road again. Mm -hmm. Many of us, Lord, have been on this road for a very, very long time. A road, Lord, of despair and a road, Lord, that seems to be devoid of hope. But we are grateful that as we walk this road, that you walk alongside us. So come, Holy Spirit, come and walk with this church right now and this preacher As we now open up your scriptures and your words, reveal your truth to us. 
that we may leave this place free from despair, but filled with the hope that comes from you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to warn you, my approach with this sermon will be expository. What that means is I'm going to walk us through the text systematically so that you'll be able to get a full comprehension of what Dr. Luke wants us to know about this orderly account of the disciples' encounter with Jesus. So let's look at the text beginning at verse 13. It says, now that same day, that same day, meaning the day that the women went to the tomb and saw that he was risen. That same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they walked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But, here's the text, but they were kept from recognizing him. Are you with me? As they are walking in their despair, as they are walking, they were kept from recognizing that the person that was missing from the tomb is the person that was actually walking with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, no one knows, all of the scholars, no one knows where this place Emmaus is to this very day. We all know Jerusalem. We all know that Jerusalem means that the word Jerusalem actually means city of peace. That's what the word Jerusalem means, city of peace. And so what we know is that these these disciples are walking on this road to a place called Emmaus that we have no idea where it is, but it's seven miles from Jerusalem. The word Emmaus actually means a nowhere place. The word Emmaus actually means nowhere. So here's the thing. You're walking from a place of peace, seven miles, to a place of nowhere. You're going from where you were happy and comfortable to nowhere. You're on a road to nowhere. Have there been times in your lives where things are going very well for you? where things are operating as they should, and you're at a place of contentment and peace. Everything seems to be working together for the good. You are good. You are okay. But just as you are getting used to that place of contentment, something happens and you lose your peace. You are doing just fine. Things are going well, yet seemingly without provocation on your part, someone or something comes along and disturbs your peace. They or the situation has taken you out of your Jerusalem and now you're on this road to nowhere. You can't tell if you are up or down. You don't know your left From your right. All you know is that the place of peace that you once enjoyed is now gone. And you're on the road to nowhere. The road of despair. And every time things seem to be on the way up. No sooner are you back on the road again. 
But the text shows us that as the two of them were walking, they were talking about everything that had happened. The things that had happened was not just the crucifixion of Jesus, but they were talking about what the women had told them about Christ being raised from the dead. Furthermore, we are told that as they were discussing these things, Jesus came alongside and they didn't recognize him. Now, again, here we have a marvelous revelation of the Spirit. I believe that Jesus comes alongside these disciples because it was two of them. And they were discussing things concerning him. So Jesus was in their midst as they walked from their place of peace to their place of despair. <laughs> you see, they're on the road again, the two of them, talking and discussing Jesus and Jesus comes alongside them in the midst of them on the road again. For me, there is something very precious in the picture of Christ walking with us in our darkest hour. Which I cannot, brothers and sisters, I cannot overlook it. So often as fleshly human beings, we desire an answer when things are not working out for us the way we want. Yet Jesus' desire is for us to know that we already have the answer in him. He knows what is required for each of us to reach that place of joy in him. But what an example we have in this Emmaus account. For you all heard it in your spirits, where two or more are gathered. Yeah. There he is in the midst of them. Yes, now let me say this. You may be going through a difficult time right now. I don't know who this is for. Maybe you're dealing with the loss of a loved one, or even the loss of your employment, or dealing with some major back tax issue. I don't know. Or something else that has caused you to lose your peace. It may have something to do with your children. I don't know. But maybe whatever it is, something has caused you to lose your peace. Well, the truth is the only way you can get back to that place of peace is with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's be clear. You can't do this by yourself. Let's be very clear. And, and the way that Jesus has set it up for us to be able to get his help is through fellowship in his believing community. It's in the text. As you walk your Emmaus road, whatever your Emmaus road may be, you need to be walking alongside someone who is also a believer that can identify with your struggle and to be there with you and for you so that you do not walk alone. And as you come together in the common name of Jesus, he will then come alongside you. Hi, hallelujah. And he'll be right there with you in the midst of your hardship and in the midst of your pain. He said in his word that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He will never leave you. And he'll never forsake you. But brothers and sisters, too many of us choose when we get on the road again to walk alone. You are not alone. That's why we have the church. That's why we have fellowship one with another. For where two or more are gathered, he's there in the midst. Now the text tells us that as Jesus walked alongside them. Now this is very exciting. You're going to see why I love this text. The text tells us as Jesus walked alongside them, they were kept from recognizing him. What a curious thing for the Bible to say, Sister Andrea. They were kept. Who's keeping them away from recognizing him? Something was keeping them from recognizing Jesus. What a sad commentary. Yeah. 
when Jesus is in the midst of the church and the church doesn't know he's there. Come on, preacher. Many people preach Jesus and they talk about Jesus. But when he shows up, they don't know he's there because they're too busy thinking about their fancy robes and their wonderful voices and how they look cute on camera. So when he walks in, he may not look the way you think he looks. What a sad commentary, but I digressed. The word kept in this context has caused me to do much thinking and I believe that there are two possible reasons why they could not recognize Jesus. I think there are two possible reasons why they could not recognize Jesus. Number one reason is because of their unbelief. I believe people can't recognize Jesus because of unbelief. You see, we know that the women had told the disciples earlier that they had seen Jesus and that he was risen. The women told them so. <laughs> we know we live in a society where sometimes people try to silence the voice and the mouths of women. The women have something to say. And let me say this clearly without apology or hesitation. Black women got something to say. But are we listening? And even if we do listen, are we believing? But again, I digressed. They talked about the angels, these women, and even showed them where in the tomb he was laying. They showed them. And they went now, and they were now going to tell the disciples what they had seen and what they had heard. And Jesus told the women, tell my disciples. Jesus himself told the women, tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee. <laughs> to make it quite simple, they couldn't recognize him because they had rejected the whole idea of his resurrection. You see, now before you start, and before all of us start wailing on these disciples for their unbelief, here's my question. How is yours? How is your unbelief? Sunday after Sunday, the preacher stands in the pulpit and tells you about this God, this Jesus, this man who sticks closer than a brother and tells you not to give up hope. And the moment we walk out of the church, we have seemed to have forgotten everything the preacher said because we right, fall right back into our despair, walking that Emmaus road on that road again. Amen. How many times have you heard the gospel and have been told time and time again to walk by faith and not by sight? or to believe on the Lord Jesus. For if you ask, seek, and knock, the door will be opened to you. Or how many times have you been told to seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness and all the things that you need will be added unto you. Yet you continue to worry about your life because of your circumstances. I'm talking to the church. Yeah. Can all your worries add a single moment to your lives? And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers and that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, will he not certainly care for you and me, O ye of little faith? Yes, sir. So they did not recognize Jesus, that's number one, because of their unbelief. If you can't see Jesus, check your belief system. The second thing I would think why they couldn't recognize Jesus was because of the blinding scheme of Satan. The blinding scheme of Satan. This brings me to the point I want to make about the self-revelation of Jesus Christ. The Bible is clear that we wrestle not 
against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The Bible is clear that you are not fighting each other, you're fighting spirits. Let me say it this way. You're not fighting Donald Trump. You're not fighting racism. You're not fighting all of these. You're fighting spiritual wickedness that has corrupted the minds of those who, because of their unbelief, have become easy prey to a devil and a spirit that knows how to use the weak among us. Open your eyes. The moment that you make a decision to start focusing on the things of God and begin to redirect your life so that you're able to start having an impact on this world by advancing God's kingdom, you have earned the right to now enter into the realm of intense spiritual warfare. You think this church, and I may be speaking prophetically, you think this church has seen issues yet? Let's keep praying and worshiping and sending missionaries and doing things for the kingdom of God to advance and you will see spiritual warfare. I thank God for our missionaries who pray every Wednesday. For what you may or may not know is that they're praying for you to make sure that when you come into this place, you have a covering that will keep you from the evil one who has every intention to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. But for the goodness of God, that when we get on that road again, Jesus walks alongside us. Now, what you need to know is Satan hasn't changed his schemes. He hasn't changed his schemes. If he can make you believe that he does not exist, he has you. If he can deceive you into doubting what you know about God, then he has you. That's all he did to Eve when he introduced doubt into the Garden of Eden. Satan continues to blind our eyes to the truth. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The irony here is that these disciples, in their desperate search for truth, truth himself was walking beside them. (laughs) How sad it is for Christians to be walking with Jesus, as I said before, and you don't know it. That's how much Satan's scheme has blinded the eyes of even those among us who are zealous believers. Now, The thing that I love about the text is that Jesus has what I call a two-pronged approach. (laughs) I told you, it's expository, right? So we're doing some learning today. Jesus has a two-pronged approach to how he helps these disciples on this road to nowhere, right? But before I give that to you, before I tell you that, you first need to understand how you are actually made blind. When you have the ability to see. Every one of us in this room right now can see. So the blindness of which I speak is not a physical blindness. It was a spiritual blindness. Here's what I mean. When they were walking with Jesus, they saw the man, but they didn't see the man. See? They saw the man, but they didn't see the man. Right? So there is a way that you can see, and there's a way that you cannot see. The way that you cannot see is a spiritual blindness that I want to talk about specifically. So, so, <laughs> so, so there are two scenarios that can cause you to be spiritually blind. Now I'm going to do a little bit of a demonstration to make sure you kind of get it. The first is what I call the objective scenario. And the second is the subjective scenario. Right? 
Now, church, I think I need you all to follow me because otherwise you're going to get lost. So say the first one would be objective scenario. And the second one is subjective scenario. Very good. You're in good, good students, right? First, I want you to think of a beautiful painting that is on an easel, right? One of these fancy paintings, right? And you can't see the painting because it's covered with a sheet. But you can see the sheet right now. But the, you can't see the painting because it's covered with a sheet. Secondly, I want you now to think of you being blindfolded around your eyes. So not only is there a sheet on the painting, your eyes are also blindfolded. In both scenarios, you cannot see the painting. Even if one is removed. If I remove the cover, over the painting, you still can't see it because you're blindfolded. If I leave the cover on the painting and remove your blindfold, you still can't see the painting. Are you with me? So whether or not you have the covering on the sheet, the sheet on the painting, or the blindfold, either of those two causes you to not see the painting. In the first scenario, with the sheet covering the painting, when the sheet is removed, we call that objective or to use theological words, general revelation. When the sheet is removed from the painting, that is objective and it's called general revelation. It's called objective because the removing of the sheet has nothing to do with you. It's a reason why Paul talks about that we can see the na in nature. God has demonstrated to us that he is alive and that he is real. We have been given general revelation because you can see the birds. You can see the stars. You can see the sun. You can see the moon. You can see how things work in nature. But there are people who see it but still don't see it. <laughs> That's general revelation. That's the first scenario and it's objective. Nothing to do with you. The second scenario, when the blindfold is removed from your eyes, now enabling you to see, this is the subjective or what we call the special revelation. It's called special revelation because it now involves you. Someone or something has to now remove the blindfold from your eyes. And every single person in this church and every single person who is listening to me, there is some kind of blindfold around your eyes. And your blindfold might be even your loss of a job. Might cause you to be blindfolded. Your blindfold might be the issue you have with your spouse. Might cause you to be blindfolded. Your blindfold might be the fact that you feel like you have not been educated enough. So you feel less than. You're blindfolded. Every single one of us have a different blindfold, and your blindfold is not mine. And brothers and sisters, we, make a, we play a dangerous game in the church when we come to each other, when we are in the midst of our pain. And I'm telling you, and we're telling you, oh, just get over it. Move the blindfold. You don't know what my blindfold is. You don't understand even why I have a blindfold. Worry about your own. Take off your blindfold. And maybe then you'll be able to see that I too have one on. And then you can express to me some kind of compassion and love as you help me remove my blindfold. So it's very important to understand that our world, because our world is so blind, 
to anything that is true. They have neither general nor special, objective nor subjective revelation or both. This is why even when the truth is staring people right in their face, they still cannot see it. I don't know about you, and this is going to be controversial, and I can be. I don't know about you, but I do know the difference between a man and a woman when I see them. Come on, preacher. Come on, preacher. I'm not knocking anybody. People can be whatever they want, but woman, man, woman, woman, man, man, woman, 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 man, woman, woman, man, woman, 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 man, man, woman, man. Did I get any wrong? My point is simply this. Our world has gotten to a place where when truth is walking alongside us, we can't see it. We don't know it and we don't acknowledge it. I don't have to tear you down for me to feel good about me. But I will not let you tell me that what I am seeing is not what is before me. I'm just saying. But that said, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus' second prong approach in how he deals with these disciples. Are you still with me? Yes, listen. Listen. Verse 17 says, now, again, you all understand general revelation and special revelation. You understand the objective and you understand the subjective. You understand that if you remove the, 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 the sheet, you can't see if you still have your blindfold on. And you understand that if the sheet is still on the picture and you remove your blindfold, you can still not see the picture. So the question is, how did Jesus enable these two disciples on this road to nowhere? How did he take a two-pronged approach to let them see the man? I hope you all are interested in seeing how Jesus did it because this is a message for the church as well. For we follow Jesus' ways. So this is what Jesus did. Look in the text. Verse 17, he asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who don't know the things that have happened there in these days? This is them talking to Jesus. What nerve. Jesus then says, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. They're still talking to Jesus. In addition, some of our women, some of our women, they amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels. A vision of angels. Can you believe that, sir? They saw this vision of angels, and he said he was alive. Then some of our companions, they went to the tomb. They found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. This is all them rambling to Jesus. Telling Jesus all of what has happened. Now we're going to see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are. That's a rebuke. 
You come to the pastor and you tell the pastor all the things that has caused you some distress. You are walking on this road to nowhere. This place called Emmaus. Your heart is broken because the person you thought, the person that you thought you were involved with is no longer the person that they are. You're on a road to nowhere. Your heart is broken. You come to the pastor and you're telling the pastor, this is what happened. And the pastor goes, huh, you're so foolish. It's a little harsh, isn't it? I tell people all the time, people think that Jesus is a gentle, gentle little lamb and a little baby in a manger. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's going to tell you where and who you are. He's going to put you in your place with a gentle rebuke for he has all authority. The question is when you are being rebuked by Jesus, are you going to listen or are you going to go your own way? And then you're going to find out that you're on the road to Emmaus, on that road again to nowhere longer than you need to be. So Jesus says to them, how foolish you are. How foolish you are. And, and, and so after Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus then says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things then enter his glory? And here it is, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he was going farther. In other words, I told you what I got to tell you, now I'm going to keep moving. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and day is almost over. So he went in with them. When they were at the table, he took bread gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared from their sight. Then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road to nowhere? And opened the scriptures to us. You starting to see why I love this text? This is beautiful. You see, the two-pronged approach of Jesus always begins with first meeting people where they are. Yep. And, and how did Jesus meet them where they are? He asked a question. What are you discussing as you walk along? You see, brothers and sisters, as a church and as a ministry, when people are in their lowest and most despairing places. Don't start just praying for them because you don't know what to pray for. Don't start telling them what they should do because you're in no position on your own road to Emmaus to give them any advice. You meet people where they are by asking them, what's going on? What are you discussing? Where are you as you walk along your Emmaus road? And then be patient enough as Jesus was to let them tell you, oh, they told us this and this is what's going And just let them vent. Jesus was letting these disciples vent. And after they had their pity party. <laughs> really? Really? You are crying about something that has nothing to do with you. Because very often when we cry out about our problems, we are really crying out, and I'm being honest here, we're really crying about something that somebody else did that's got nothing to do with us. We spend more time gossiping and complaining about everything else 
other than the things that we are responsible for. So when you bring your foolishness to Jesus, Jesus is going to call it out, which tells me the reason why a lot of people don't pray and why a lot of people don't go to Jesus because you still want to stay on that road again. You don't want to get off the Emmaus road to nowhere. You like your pity party, so you want to stay there. But the moment you decide that it's time to get off, Jesus is going to call out your foolishness and then you straighten up and act right. So the first prong is the objective general revelation. Remember, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to take the sheet off of the painting. Did we say that? Because we're going to give these people sight. So Jesus takes the sheet off the painting. How did he do that, pastor? He said he removed the sheet off of the picture when he said, when the text tells us he explained the scriptures beginning with Moses and the prophets. Did you see that? Before he, after he rebuked them, he, he, he started to explain to them the scriptures beginning with Moses and the prophets. This is what happens when you come to church and when you join Bible study. The role of the pastor or the teacher is to introduce you to the truth of, God's found, truth of God found in his word and made available to you. This is why I preach. This is why I teach, so that you would have the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ made available to you through his word and through his scriptures. What I'm doing every Sunday when I preach and every time we're in Bible study is I'm removing the sheet off of the picture. So so by Jesus explaining the scriptures to the disciples as they walked along this Emmaus road, he was uncovering the sheet and making it possible, making it possible for them to see. But they still did not see, for they needed now the second of Jesus' two-pronged approach. Yes, you could come to church. Yes, you could come to Bible study. But believe me, brothers and sisters, if you don't have the general revelation of who God is in the person of Jesus Christ, you can't see his glory. So here's the second prong as I get ready to close. The subjective prong, this is now the blindfold, means that the blindfold has to still be removed from their eyes. For what the natural eye cannot see, the spirit will reveal. And this subjective illumination took place during, get this, the breaking of the bread. Look again at verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. Let me translate. Were our hearts not burning when he gave us general revelation? Now, in the breaking of bread, he's given us special revelation. So as they sat down to eat, Jesus, now acting as the host in a house he was invited to. They invited him into their house, and he's the one breaking the bread. When you invite Jesus into your home, And into your heart, he becomes the host. And he becomes the host. And at this point, Cleopas, his friend, recognizing the risen Lord. And this is what I mean 
by the special revelation. Jesus himself broke the bread. They recognized him, but don't miss the fact that they recognized him in the breaking of the bread after he had explained the scriptures beginning with Moses and the prophets. My brothers and sisters, here's my point. In this life, you will have trouble. In this life, you will find yourself on the road to Emmaus, wondering what your life and your hard work was for. On this road to Emmaus, it will feel as though everything you had hoped for and everything you had dreamed of would not come to pass and your entire life will feel empty and shallow and meaningless and futile. That's why John wrote about meaning in his book. But that is okay. For the scriptures make it clear that we do not walk alone. And even if you find a safe place, it won't be too long before you're on the road again. But that's the beauty of this passage. The beauty of the passage is that it's about Jesus. For he walks with me and he talks with me. He tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, no other has ever known. For we come to the garden alone while the dew is still on roses and the voice we hear falling on our ear the Son of God discloses my brothers and my sisters through the crucifixion death resurrection and self-revelation of Jesus Christ on your road to Emmaus on your road to nowhere a place that seems to be a dead end but seven miles from Jerusalem you do not walk alone and even when you find that you do not walk alone life still happens and you will be on that road again but because of Jesus and his ascended authority through the general and the special revelation of his majesty. Your hearts will burn with the fire of the Holy Ghost as you walk along that road of faith. So I invite you brothers and sisters today to put aside all your thoughts, your worries, your fears, and your confusions and invite this one into your life and to be touched by God. He is the bread of life that was broken for you and me on Calvary's tree and he wants to sup with you. For it seems to me that the women were right after all. May the Lord richly, richly bless you my beloved.